No one ever found victory in the dirt. <laughs> Welcome back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the fox to give about actor Dennis Quaid. I'm half-hearted. Get it? Voice over, Sarah D. Bunting. I'm here, as always, with my co-host, uncredited Arthurian cameo, Jeb Lund. Hello, Jeb. I'm the dragon now, dog. Joining us today is first-time guest and trebuchet consultant, David T. Cole. Hello, Dave. Yikes! Hello, thank you for having me. <laughs> so, yes, it's it's been a while, listeners, <laughs> listener, and uh, we are embarking on season five of Quaid in Full, which is the mid to late 90s. There are uh, some good films in store for us in this section of our overview of Dennis Quaid's career, but I feel like this <laughs> is not one of them. Before we get into 1996's Dragon Heart, with a capital H in the middle, Jeb, do we have any pod business to address? You may not be surprised to hear this, but during my, my sabbatical in the Orient in between seasons, I was not able to get the Wi-Fi I needed to check to see if there were any new episodes of the Denisons. Oh. And I haven't been back for very long, been very jet lagged. So I, I don't know. I mean, you tell me. There are no new episodes of the Denisons. Ah. I checked. Talk about a long hiatus, which he's not spending filming Tiger King. So I don't know what his excuse is. I still haven't listened to any of the old episodes of the Denisons. I have no excuse. David, did you have to hear any of that when, when Tara decided to do our research for us? <laughs> uh, no, thankfully, I'm blissfully unaware of uh, what you're talking about, about his podcast, about uh, most things to do with Dennis Quaid. I'm really just here for Dragonheart, guys. Fair enough. Perfect. Well, then let's get into the plot summary, uh, which I took from Ebert's review, in which Mr. Ebert called the film, quote, sublimely silly but gave it three stars nevertheless. Ebert trying to find the joy. Again, we, we see that a lot on uh, Quaid in Full. Quote, early in the film, Bowen, that's the Dennis Quaid character, the dragon slayer, uh, is trying to teach the elements of chivalry to the uncouth young prince, Anun, Ainan. Chief McLeod. But the lad is a bad apple. Then his father, the king, is slain, the prince is seriously wounded, and his mother, the queen, Julie Christie, yes, Julie Christie, takes him to the dragon's lair, where the lad's life is saved, although not without a sacrifice by the dragon that provides much of the meaning of the movie's last 15 minutes. Time passes. Einan, Anan, Chief McLeod, whatever, David Thewlis from Naked, has pledged to Draco the dragon, that his conduct will follow the old code, but he grows up as a sadistic lout, and soon Bowen and Draco are leading a revolt of the peasants against Ainan, Ainan, Good night, Chief. Good night, McLeod. Whatever's unsavory reign. <laughs> Here is one of the movie's immortal exchanges. Quote, the peasants are revolting. They've always been revolting. Now they're rebelling. So th that's <laughs> basically the plot summary. Oh, like, I'm not mad at that line, guys. I, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm not mad at that line. <laughs> yeah, Dennis Quaid's um, pupil in 984 AD or whatever gets half a dragon heart to save his life. Um, he does not live up to the burden of that, and um, squelchy deaths ensue. Spoiler. Jeb, do you feel like I missed anything in the 
plot or does the plot not really matter here? Are we just here for the industrial light and Connery dragon? I think so. Yeah. I, I ran out of derisive similes for this because like um, all of them sort of apply like this is like if army of darkness wasn't a comedy like okay you know, this is yeah. the finest cd-rom of 1996 like <laughs> the, yeah. we're here for this uh this special effect and that you know everything else around it just seems to have been mismatched or you know like we'll clean it up in post and Nobody mm. ever bothered to see if any of the pieces fit or really seemed to ask too many difficult questions or whoever was answering them didn't have to. <laughs> well, you forgot about the part of the hero's journey where uh, the dragon becomes a grifter. Beyond that, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's yeah. like the, the touching story of a dragon and the genocide heir who made him the loneliest one. <laughs> but then witty 90s humor. I mean, I feel like most of the reviews I read of this were like baffled into positivity, um, <laughs> th which I I kind of concur. We'll we'll get into it when we uh, get into our ratings for this. But it was like I I'm so sort of estranged from what they're trying to do, or by the the general concept that I don't hate it because I can't sort of get a handhold. <laughs> on it it's not to say that i like it let's hear a snippet from janet maslin's review from the times quote as directed awkwardly by rob cohen parenthetically cohen created the fast and furious franchise which really tells you kind of everything you need to know and played by a cast wearing thickets of fake hair Dragonheart remains unreasonably flat while trying every surefire gambit it can borrow the dragon, expertly lip-synced, is Rodan with a T-Rex's twosomeness plus a sweet, silly grin. The screenplay throws in a cliche-loving poet, Pete Postlethwaite, and a pretty, feisty heroine, Dina Meyer. There are clanking swords and burning huts, not to mention a noisy and interminable battle scene. And there are shades of King Arthur and astronomy when all else fails. It often does. End quote. <laughs> I guess this is where we uh, mention that the screenwriter, Charles Edward Pogue, also wrote DOA, which we talked about last season, I think. He wrote Psycho 3, which I thought we all agreed as a culture never to mention, and here I am violating that. And uh, Cull the Conqueror, which I think is the most oh, sure. relevant item from his CV. The cast list includes David Thewlis, Pete Postlethwaite, and uh, Julie Christie. As mentioned, John Gielgud has an uncredited cameo as uh, the restless ghost of King Arthur. And, uh, of course, there's Dina Lucinda Nicholson-Meyer as the love interest and a question mark. Yeah, this... Also, if, if you just want to like do the IMDb thing, there's a dragon in this named Draco, and Jason Isaacs plays Draco Malfoy's dad in the Harry Potter series. And it's sort of, it was fun to see him and David Thewlis together. And I wonder if like at any point during the Harry Potter saga, they were like, do you remember when we were in Spain on that thing that was awful? Yeah. Were they in <laughs> Spain or Slovakia? I, th I read the production uh, notes on Wikipedia and they said this was filmed in Spain. Oh, the wow. uh, the story okay. like that is a a fun page. You should read everything about the production of this movie because at every moment where a good decision was made, it, it's like the magic came together to ensure that it didn't. 
There's also um, much magic to be found in the uh, keywords section, particularly <laughs> dragon human relationship. That's one of my favorites of all time. <laughs> yeah, this doesn't know exactly what it's trying to be, which given that it's basically a medieval dragon epic, like it's pretty hard to be confused about the brief as a film production, but like sometimes it's a comedy, sometimes it's very interested in old codes of chivalry, sometimes it's a what not to wear episode about wigs of the 90s. <laughs> it just is very kind of muddled, I think, about what its reason is for being, but it mostly keeps moving. I have to say, like it could have been 10 minutes shorter and that climactic quote-unquote battle scene at the end was boring and confusing it was like the it was like the chase scenes in that in batman that it's like where even are we why is it so dark but yeah it was okay but uh, i'm not sure i'm not sure sean connery thought he was in the same movie that everyone else thought they were in would you guys agree <laughs> <laughs> he literally wasn't. I mean, he was in a studio somewhere back in uh, Edinburgh. But uh, yeah, totally agree. Because speaking about how confused the tone of this movie is and exactly where they're going, the first instance that we're introduced to the dragon, he's all the, uh, gotta follow the old cold and Prince Arthur would be spinning in his grave. You can see what the humanity's doing now. And then... Ten minutes later, he's running grifts with Dennis Quaid. So there's a lot of confusion, even with the character of the dragon, who should be, you know, the pillar of the old code in this movie, being the oldest creature around. So you know you're in for uh, some inconsistencies with this movie, putting it lightly, when right. you realize that not even the dragon can follow the old code. Yeah. And that goes for lots of people. You have uh, Pete Postlethwaite as a priest being encouraged to take the kill shot at some point. <laughs> yeah. and you're like, and there's no, you know, dramatic value to his doing it. It doesn't close an arc. It doesn't counterbalance some other structure in it. It's just like they didn't have him doing anything else. And they're like, well, somebody's got to take the kill shot. Yeah. Well, yeah. and this is after like a fairly lengthy sequence in which um, slam poetry is derided at length, which like, I, you know, <laughs> I am a poet creaking, creaking. I, I've got no problem with the screenplay shitting on poetry for no reason or any reason. But yeah, then all of a sudden it's like a, is this like a backdoor pilot Ronin situation? It's Pete Postlethwaite. Like, this is what, this is what you're doing with him. Right. And the humor Oh, okay. Well, let's quote enjoy a brief clip from the negotiation during which um, Dennis Quaid is in Dragon Connery's mouth. And it's a it's mm -hmm. a standoff or a sit off, I guess. And uh, th this is what passes for uh, repartee, I guess, in clip two. Never mind. Just get rid of her. Oh. Eat her! Oh, please. Yeah. Aren't we squeamish? You ate Sir Eglamour, hypocrite. I merely chewed in self-defense, but I never swallowed. The... <laughs> yeah. N no. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, this is like half an hour after the like opening establishing sequence of The Code, where it's very like Superman 2, you know, I regret to tell you, my son, that your destiny, uh, like, uh, w what are you? What are you, movie? 
David, I, like I have so many notes on this, but all of them are just sort of like my delighting in really petty, dumb things. And I feel like you're yep. waiting to unload something because you <laughs> wanted to be here. And I'm like, I'm waiting for the flood of Dragonheart takery. Well, OK, so you were talking about the scene in the mouth. My problem and it's not really a problem, but I'll say my problem with this movie is that I can't really get a bead on the dragon as a character. But that's not to say that it doesn't provide some good moments in the film. And when I say good moments, I just mean really stupid shit that I just have to give myself up to. Like this whole scene where the dragon slayer and the dragon are sort of at this, uh, there, there's a fight and he's got his sword in his roof of the mouth. The dragon can't eat him or he'll die and, you know, the knight can't uh, leave because he'll just get eaten if he puts the sword up in his head. And there's this whole scene where Shankar is talking like this because he's got a sword in his mouth and all oh, dragon flowers are gonna go and it goes it's like, on. It's a chilling preview of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> it goes on forever and there is a weird combination in this movie of sort of 90s, late 80s action sensibility trying and failing to marry it with some sort of noble medieval code yeah, and sort of a brave hearty uh, citizens versus, you know, the ruling class finale. And it is so confused and whiplashy with what it's doing with his characters that once you realize just how ridiculous a ride you're into, that's when you give up on it mm -hmm. and then by giving up it opens the door for you to be somewhat won over like i would never watch this movie again if i didn't yeah, have to. i'm all set <laughs> but i'm not mad that i saw it again because it wasn't egregiously insulting to me it was just really dumb ill-considered, but in that way that you can enjoy, because mostly because Sean Connery's there, but also because Dennis Quaid is ever-shifting what is his accent is there, and then yeah. they're surrounded <laughs> by all this greater talent. Uh, Julie Christie, John Gilgood, like, how do they get all these people? It's, it's amazing. Like, originally, apparently, this was supposed to be Liam Neeson in, uh, in, the, in the Quaid mm -hmm. role, but they didn't buy that he could actually pull it off. Ha-ha. Fast forward the Taken. But there is a quality of this movie that at first pushes you away, but then when you give up, kind of gives you a nice little hug. And um, <laughs> the rest of it is just like, all right, I'm just on for this stupid ride. This dragon can talk. It's like <laughs> early CG. Its eyeballs don't have enough definition. Uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that are wrong with this movie. But I don't really care because it's just so dumb that I am kind of kind of won over by it in a weird way. I felt this way about cuffs that th I mean, <laughs> that the movie is terrible, but like there comes a point in the movie, like 20 minutes in where it's apparent to everyone on screen and in front of the screen that the movie is bad. So mm -hmm. everyone just kind of is like, let's just have fun with it. And Tony Goldwyn is just like the, with this silent movie performance that is extremely angry and funny. And then it's exactly like you said, Dave, like it, it sort of pushes you away. And then once you're like, fine, then it gives you then it gives you that hug of, well, fuck it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. 
I mean, Dennis Quaid calls the <laughs> Diana Myers character Kara uh, mm-hmm. and Kara, and I Cora. think also once Carol. So yes, like, there was definitely just, a Carol. And, and when you realize this kind of thing, we're like, wow, that's the attention of detail. Once everybody kind of realized where they were on the hierarchy of quality of movie, they're just like, ah, fuck it, who cares? Should we should we tell Dennis it's actually Kara, not not Kara? Nah, don't worry about it. Let's just go. <laughs> Just two things, like for those listeners who've been with the podcast since episode one and have wondered why there is a cuffs counter, that's for every time we mentioned cuffs on the podcast, we're up to one, but I'm, I'm glad it was there. I can't believe it's only one. I'm glad you were both here for this moment. <laughs> and I'm glad that both of you had that experience because I remember seeing the reviews that were sort of positive about this because it came out when I was too old for it. So mm-hmm. I never saw it. And Going in, now I've got the attitude of like, well, maybe this will be good and it's something I can show my son. And my, <laughs> we, we started watching it and then d- the sense of dejection <laughs> that, that came over us is like we go from the buddy cop scene by the fire between Quaid and the dragon uh-huh. and then we cut to like, ah, it's the attempted rape and <laughs> like the eyeballs being burned out. Just mm. these things that are pitching up and down the scale. And I, I just turned uh, to Mrs. London. I said, did you know that every every shot in this movie was done in one take? And like, <laughs> you know, that broke it. And we were like, okay, now we just have to watch it like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then it just started delivering and delivering and delivering like home fill level food. Like that just is largely unidentifiable, but has good lung coloring. I mean, it was really fascinating just to watch their food. <laughs> yeah, you come in. And they seem to want to deliver you Braveheart. But then once you realize they're actually giving you Lethal Weapon 4, Mm -hmm. then you're like, oh, okay, this is where we're at. Like the scene where the dragon is bolo tied with some sort of catapult device that he has on his horse. I don't understand the physics there, but Quaid kind of captures the dragon in mid-flight and it is dragged through a forest and the dragon keeps on delivering all these quips so like, oh, you got a nice, uh, nice walk through the forest and that's when he says yikes which I played up at the top and then <laughs> after that whole scene where they fall to the ground, you can actually hear Sean Connery give out a drat and yes. when you realize the dragon is going to be saying yikes and drat and all this sort of silly <laughs> stuff. Like at that point, if you're not giving yourself up to the lethal weapon forness of this, then like you're never going to engage with this movie on the level it needs to be engaged with. I was wondering if you were going to bring up that scene because I was wondering if you had like post zipline trauma. <laughs> oh, not quite the same, but I, yeah, once in Hawaii, I was on one of those zip lines that they put out in the wilderness and um, they didn't stop me when they were supposed to stop me. And I went like 30, 40 miles an hour into a big wood pole and had to go to the uh, ER. But Jesus. it didn't give me didn't give me um, flashbacks. It's not, it wasn't quite the zip line. But thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Look, knowing that I, I won't take as much issue with your being wrong about the lethal weapon four thing, because like that, that's a lot of trauma. It could jostle some stuff out. It's cave dwellers. It's between Braveheart and cave dwellers. <laughs> cave dwellers. What's that? <laughs> it's a, it's a, like the first episode of the third season of MST3K. It's like a top oh. five episode. I give you the point that this isn't 
Lethal Weapon might have been too good of a franchise. That's why I went with Lethal Weapon 4, not Lethal Weapon 1. But I'm, I take your point. This is yeah. more like number one with a bullet or some sort of, you know, <laughs> uh, early Sam Jackson before he became a big actor kind of uh, action film. So point taken. Mm. You saw this in the theater. I had never seen it before. Jeb, I assume this was your first yeah. Yeah, yeah. outing with this. Why did you see this in the theater, Dave? Just there was air conditioning? <laughs> well, uh, I saw it with Tara, and I believe we were just seeing every film that was uh, coming out during that time, uh -huh. um, as as we did. We uh, Among the movies that I remember seeing with Tara at the beginning of our relationship-ish include this film, Eraser, uh, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh -huh. <laughs> nice. Stuff like that. So real quality, early aughts, fair um, there was a period of my time where I would just see anything in the theater and that time has passed. I'm much more choosy with my time, um, but it was not because of Dennis Quaid. It was not because of the special effects because they, even at the time when we were easily amazed and fooled by early CG, I thought that didn't look really good. Yeah. And they did that thing where they have some tools that they can use okay. Like the dragon's okay when he's flying around and he's not interacting with the world that much <laughs> and he's at like a middle distance. But then when they, they show him close up, it's like, oh boy. And then when they want to make him wet, it's like, ooh, we don't have the technology to have a wet dragon yet. No. And <laughs> they just put like some, uh, so, they put some scales on uh, Bruce the shark. From Jaws. Yeah, it is really bad. Yeah. Um, but I just would see everything. And um, it just was dumb fun. And I don't know. It kind of it kind of delivers. But on on a very if if you give yourself up to it, it delivers. But guys, there's so much wrong with the making of this film. The choices they made. Mm -hmm. Like the evil prince who becomes the evil king like if you're gonna have a menacing king if you want to like believe that he is a threat give the dude a haircut yeah like we, like <laughs> yeah. it makes sense when he's a kid because he's just like a punk mm -hmm. but if he's supposed to be this cruel tyrant make me believe it please get a new bowl yeah what's what's with the hamel camel that's happening there yeah i mean it's the CGI is not great. The script mm -hmm. is extremely confused. Accents are zinging all over uh, <laughs> Norman England. And I am shocked at the level of talent that was squandered in this movie. And like David mm -hmm. Thewlis, I think, has like didn't actually read the script and is just doing his own thing. But it's relatively short and to watch it once is like, this is extremely weird. These wigs are like Mount Rushmore horrible. And I was entertained for an hour and three quarters. So now that the time has come, I believe, to uh, to rate this um, dragon pucky, I'm going to give it a five. I'm not angry. Wow. Wait, <laughs> out of out of what? Ten. Out of 10. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, what is your what is your rating of the film overall? Boy, I'm going to go a little bit higher just because I was entertained in that bad movie becomes a little bit good sort of way. So mm -hmm. I'll give it six and a half. Okay. But I do feel like the filmmakers owe Dina Meyer an apology for covering up her hair 
with that hair because yeah. that lady's got amazing hair. She really does. And yeah. it fits her character perfectly. Like she looks like the girl from Brave. And yeah. that's what they were going for. But they put the dime store wig on top of her head. Awful. You know what? Six stars. I'm taking back half a star. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I, I was with Sarah. I It starts out bad and you're like, oh, this is a one. You know, and then it just kind of keeps adding little bits of humor, like Julie Christie looking so defeated just to be in it. And you're like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> to me, like, that that actually pushed it into like, okay, this is an enjoyable what the fuck watch for sure. Was that mm-hmm. end fight sequence with uh, Quaid riding a horse at the, like, the horse equivalent velocity of I drive an automatic and I took my foot off the brake, right? Like, <laughs> and he's just sort of like tapping people on the back, like just giving them attaboys with the sword. And then they're like, Ugh! all over and then he dismounts and he runs and he's got this gate that like as i'm watching it i just hear renton go like heroin makes you constipated i am no longer constipated (laughs) it's just enough kind of horrific things that you would be in a bad mood but the movie just isn't gonna let you dwell there it's just gonna keep getting weirder so yeah yeah it's like that annoying uncle that sees you once every few months and doesn't really know how to interact with you but just tries to tickle you to win you over. And you're like, stop it, stop it, stop it. And you just tickle you. are like, all right, fine. I'm 43. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now that, now that stars. we're in bad touching, Jeb, what is your actual numerical rating? Five also? It was a five. I was okay. agreeing with you, yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess we got to talk about how quaity this is. I regret to inform you that I have a clip of um, him cube pooing out this line of dialogue um, involving serving the father and not the son. Here is clip three. I serve the father only for the sake of the son. Mm -hmm. All my hopes rest on him. Forgive a doubting fool. Call when you need of me. Ask what you will of me. My sword, my service are yours. Only remind him always of his vow. Night. Of the old code. Some folks call it a sling blade. I call it a Kaiser blade. Mm-hmm. What? What the fuck? Hearing his delivery there really solidifies for me that he is the Harrison Ford you couldn't get. Yeah. That dogs him throughout his career when he does action roles. Like, okay, I see. They wanted Harrison Ford. They got Dennis Quaid. Yeah. It does seem like he was in contact with Connery or uh, like uh, at least orally enough that he started to sort of absorb the yeah. the accent and was like trying to do it and then it didn't work. But then it's so inconsistent. Like you can tell the order in which they shot a lot of this stuff depending on where in the register he is and how Scottish he's trying to be. Totally. But there's other mm. scenes where he's just like being Texan yep. Dennis Quaid, which that actually works better. Like, just have him be Texan. Who cares? <sighs> like, they spoke Middle totally. English. We're not going for stark realism. But we watched, uh, after we watched Dragonheart, we, me and Tara immediately went on to watch the Presidio mm-hmm. and we're making <laughs> bets. How long into the movie do they have that one throwaway line that explains why Sean Connery is a San Francisco military police officer in the U.S. Army? Mm-hmm. And there's one of those lines in almost every one of his movies. And mm-hmm. sure enough, it happened really late. 
but one hour in. But I feel like they could do the same thing for Dennis Quaid. Like, you know, why are you talking so strangely, Sir Knight? And he says, well, I was born on a ship and we sailed the world. And that's why I sound like this. We, <laughs> I was brought here by the angel Moroni. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's still Pangea in this timeline. And so I walked here. Yeah. That's what I love about Texas. Because if you have to choose between a ridiculous explanation and putting up with Dennis Quaid's accent as meandering as it is for two hours, you're going to go with the silly explanation and deal with his regular voice. Yeah, agree. I'm glad you brought up the Presidio because this is like in the peak years where you just suspect that Connery must have had a gambling addiction. Mm-hmm. I may have brought this up on the podcast before where you just like you can imagine him waking up in the hole. Uh, from just be, mm-hmm. being a high roller at like the Venetian or whatever. And he rolls over and says, what? Watch this? A script for Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he just goes for it. And you're, yeah, all of that Connery, you know, from from there to the, you know, the the entrapment. You're playing both sides. Like trailer is that's that rich era of you don't know what kind of dog shit it's going to be, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He made so many bad decisions about when in his career he was going to be the I'll say yes to anything guy. Like he was there when they were making these middling films in the late nineties, early aughts. And then he thought, well, okay, I got to like start being choosier. And then he missed out on like Lord of the Rings and the matrix. And like, he said no to all these projects that, you know, went on to be the biggest films of all time. So yeah, Sean Connery's, uh, decision-making process is suspect. At I best. mean, have y'all seen Zardoz? Because the thing yes. is, if you're offered anything after that, you take it, yeah. I think. Like, I'm not saying he wasn't addicted to gambling or a pet. Like, someone had naked pictures of him that were... <laughs> From Zardoz, actually. I was going to say, Zardoz, he's somehow more naked than naked, though. Like, that's even worse. (laughs) My God, with that Borat thong situation. Oh, my God, that's bad. (laughs) But I think that in the moments when he's being Texan and sort of contemporary, like present day Quaid in a Halloween store cobweb wig, that he's pretty Quaidy. But we see this on Quaid in Full a lot that. Sometimes they give him these like bigger, sort of more noble beats to play that he's not designed for. He's poor man's Harrison Ford, like you said. And Mm -hmm. if he's not running a grift and being roguish, why cast him? I mean, in this particular case, it was because they asked literally everybody else. Everybody else said no. But he has a couple of like... (laughs) roguish grins but he has somehow zero chemistry with dina meyer i think a bunch of that got left on the cutting room floor which i am fine with i don't need romance in this movie yeah Mm -mm. yeah it's just not it's not a very quady role as the script seems to start out conceiving it and then when he tries to be quadier it's better but also not the right thing so i'm not (laughs) sure how i'm gonna rate this in terms of quadiness yeah, the, the the movie does the quaintiness a disservice because the movie can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Either mm-hmm. it needs to be uh, somebody else who's going to pull off Good Sir Knight, or it needs to let itself move totally into Dennis Quaid needs to do what Dennis Quaid needs to do to come across more of a American action hero sort of role. And they're splitting the difference in it. In it, it inhibits full quasiosity. <laughs> I completely agree. Yeah. So my, my theory is that Dennis Quaid 
woke up on a pile of Colombians and, you know, <laughs> has been a bit of a high roller the night before. And he was like, uh, what's this? A script for, you know, and, and, and he, he got the money and in early in the shooting with the money in the advance, he, he got a good supply, but then yeah. it ran out and he went back to being natural. And at the end of the movie... He's more or less normal again. Do you do you want to? Can I ask you? Do you want to do the read on for our sponsor or no? <laughs> well, once again, the podcast is brought to you by. How many of your celebrity theories involve them waking up somewhere in confusion well, in dark small rooms? I gotta believe that they all wake up every day like normal people, you know, and they put their pants on uh, the same way we do, one leg into a three thousand dollars sleeve of snakeskin. Hmm. Uh, <sighs> Boy, wow. I feel like this is not Quady, but with like a uh, this his role is John Hurt. And then there is a little quaid alien in his stomach trying to get out. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of where it is. So, like, eventually that little quaid monster pops out of his stomach and runs around the room here and there, but not mm-hmm. for the whole film. I really like that metaphor. And it's, yeah, it's sort of like instead of a chest burster, it's like a like a swollen lymph node. Of quaid. Like, <laughs> yeah, or I can hear a, yeah. a gentle tapping on his chest. What is that? <laughs> tap, tap, tap. Can I come out now? Can I come out? Dennis Quaid, I want to be in Dragonheart. <laughs> oh, God. I, I also feel like Quaid, Quaidosity is close enough to Connerificitude that they don't work all that well together. It's not a chocolate and peanut butter situation. It's a cocaine yeah. and peanut butter situation. <laughs> well, it, it hurts that they gave the dragon qualities of good sir bowen when they first go out like he should have been more standoffish to the uncody ways of sir bowen but he didn't so like they're both kind of playing the same character there, there it was yeah and it, it right. doesn't play off each other well and then there's the, the the whole issue and this is a script issue and not a dennis quaid issue that like the script does not seem clear on either why they don't recognize each other like it wasn't that long ago and there aren't that many dragons left like it, yeah. the voice is kind of distinctive i mean yeah like I'm, I'm sure the dragon didn't meet a lot of texans either like, yeah although maybe because the accent was different in their first scene together the dragon yeah. was thrown off but he seems like a pretty smart guy i don't know hmm. do we want to try to put a yeah. number on the quadosity here I'm going to say a three. I mean, it's a, it's a long flat line and then you get like a bump. It's like mm-hmm. you hear a love, but you don't hear a dub. It's a two. Like it's mm-hmm. enough to indicate that it's possible to register, mm-hmm. but that's it. Only, only responding to powdered stimuli. Yeah, I, I get it. Dave, how quady would you say this is? Yeah, I totally agree with Jeb. I think this is sort of like when your smoke alarm goes off in your house and you hear it and then you try to figure out which one of your smoke alarms it is. So you have to run around and like stand under one of them until it chirps and like, no, it's not that one. It's like these little blips and you're not quite sure if it was Dennis Quaid or not. Uh, So, uh, yeah, I totally agree with that assessment. I would give it a two as well. All right. Well, thank you very much for um, enduring slash analyzing this extremely strange dragonstein of a project um Mm -hmm. and uh now we never have to watch it again and we're not going to 
If you love Dragonheart as much as I did, just know that there are four more Dragonheart direct-to-video films waiting for you in the wings. I don't want to spoil it, but a fun game to play is see who they got to play the voices for all the... There's three prequels and one sequel. See who they got to voice the dragon in the prequels. You would think they would be people you wouldn't know, but they're all people you definitely know, and some of them are bigger names than Sean Connery. Yeah. And if you didn't enjoy the podcast, folks, we're capping it off the same way they did the movie with a trip to the planetarium. (laughs) (laughs) I've got two little items, if I may. You may. One is I like to bring a historical fact. Uh, In the village, there's a uh, pelting scene. Somebody gets pelted with a watermelon. I just want to say watermelons were not introduced to Europe for another 200 years after the setting of this movie and only in Spain. So there's no way those English dudes would have had a watermelon. You were going to say only in space. Like, oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we totally just ran over it there near the end but uh wow that end jesus dragon star scene where drago bites it what the f was that that's a whole other <laughs> podcast i realize but i just want to throw it out there and acknowledge the kitchen sink imagery vomit that that whole sequence was do you get the feeling that like they tried it without that and kids were upset by the death of the dragon and they so they threw in some garbage that was like, it's fine. He's alive in our hearts and the stars. I don't know. Yikes. Like It wouldn't surprise me at all if that was like the second thing the screenwriter thought of. Like if that was the, the second uh, most yeah. important thing to the arc, I put nothing past the creators of this film. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of kids, next time on Quaid in Full, Sesame Street, colon, telling the truth. No, really, I'll tell you the truth. I'm not sure this podcast is going to survive Elmo, but as long as there's no Zydeco, maybe we've got a shot. In the meantime, brush those Halloween store cobwebs off your head and check out the show notes and follow the podcast on Twitter at Quaid in Full Pod. Wondering when your favorite Quaid joint is getting covered or want to advertise on a specific film or TV show's episode? DMs are open. And get even more content at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Quaidinfull. Quaidinfull is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Jeb Lund and edited by Jeb Lund. Don't subscribe yet? Get off your ass. Get it? Because Puzzle Thwaite is... Never mind. And go sign up wherever you get your podcasts. And rate and review Quaid in Full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Everyone's a critic.